Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, July 8th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Yellen urges China to adopt market reforms. Samsung predicts a 96% drop in Q2 profits. Zelensky calls for commitments on Ukraine's NATO membership. The FDA approves a new Alzheimer's drug. Deforestation in the Brazilian Amazon drops. Twitter threatens to sue threads. Long COVID-like symptoms are linked to vaccines. Biden launches a new push to limit health care costs. Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene is removed from the U.S. House Freedom Caucus. And a Harvard professor believes he's found fragments of alien technology. In our top story, Yellen urges China to adopt market reforms and says the U.S. is not decoupling. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Colorado Springs Gazette, Associated Press, and The Streets Times. In a speech on Friday at the American Chamber of Commerce, or AmCham, in China, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen called for market reforms in China and criticized the country's recent tough actions against U.S. companies and the new export controls on some critical minerals. Yellen, who arrived in Beijing Thursday, said China's recent economic moves underscored the need for resilient and diverse supply chains, adding that the U.S. and its allies will fight back against unfair economic practices. Discussing trade relations between their countries on Friday, Yellen told Chinese Premier Lin Qiang that the U.S. is seeking a healthy win-win situation in which both countries benefit. Yellen also told Li Qiang that Washington and Beijing must cooperate on global issues even though relations between the two nations are at their lowest in decades. Meanwhile, China's finance ministry expressed hope that the U.S. would take concrete actions to fortify bilateral economic and trade ties. Quote, no winners emerge from a trade war or from decoupling and breaking chains, it added. Yellen, however, said Washington's economic decisions toward China take into consideration national security concerns and that it seeks to diversify, not to decouple. On this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were our facts. Let's start with the anti-China spin from the New York Times. Not only has China imposed harsh economic sanctions on U.S. businesses, but it has detained Chinese nationals working for U.S. companies in Beijing. China's economic policies are also connected to its stringent new national security and counter-espionage laws, actions that have led the U.S. to warn Americans against traveling to the country. If China keeps this up, it will likely only lead to further severance of ties. Global Times brings us the pro-China narrative. If Washington wishes to improve its poor relations with Beijing, it should start by eliminating tariffs on more than $300 billion worth of Chinese goods, which are detrimental to China, the U.S., and the global economy. The U.S. could also relax export restrictions on high-tech exports to China and ensure that Chinese companies operating in the U.S. can operate without interference. China must be treated as an equal partner rather than an enemy. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 25% chance that China's GDP will overtake the U.S. before the year 2030. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now, back to the news. Our next story, Samsung logs a 96% drop in Q2 profit amid a chip oversupply. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by Pulse, Bloomberg, Nikkei Asia, the Korea Jungang Daily, Al Jazeera, and CNN. Samsung Electronics, the world's leading memory chip and smartphone maker, reported on Friday a likely 96% decline in second quarter profit, the lowest for any quarter since 2009, as the chip glut persists despite a supply cut. Largely in line with a $427 million refinitive smart estimate, the tech giant estimates that operating gains fell to $485 million from April to June, down from $10.8 billion a year earlier. The breakdown of each division has not been disclosed yet, with analysts estimating the device solutions division responsible for the chip business suffered losses between $2.3 billion and $3.8 billion in Q2. In the January through March 2023 quarter, the company reported a massive $3.5 billion loss in its chip business as memory chip prices fell further and its inventory values were slashed. Meanwhile, other units, Mobile Experience, Consumer Electronics, and Electronics Device Subsidiary Harman International Industries are believed to have generated profit for the company. Sales reportedly plunged a larger-than-expected 22% to $46 billion with Samsung stock falling 2.4% in Seoul, the most in three months. Full earnings, including net income and details on divisional performance, will be reported at the end of the month. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. Our first spin is an establishment-critical narrative coming from Global Times. Samsung is among the major international chipmakers facing successive losses, mainly due to the reckless U.S. chip export restrictions on China which is the world's largest single-market consumer of semiconductors. Aimed at containing China's rise, such measures to exclude the PRC from the global semiconductor industry chain have backfired and are hurting global chipmakers, not China. And we have a pro-establishment narrative from Korea Times. Despite Samsung's Q2 profit falling to a 14-year low, this result was much better than market expectations and showed signs that the company will indeed have a six-fold increase to $2.8 billion in the third quarter as forecast. Additionally, its operating profit is expected to be $3.8 billion in the fourth quarter, up from $3.3 billion in Q4 2022. Things are still looking up. The Metaculous Prediction community gives us a nerd narrative for this story. They say there's a 5% chance that ships covered by the 2022 U.S. export controls will be exported to China before 2024. They just need to be patient. Yeah, that's, <laughs> honestly, from a from a close reading of that, that financial article, everything's yeah. going to be fine. Let's just keep our eyes forward. Short memory, uh, long there gaze. There you go. Hey, that's good advice. Short memory, long gaze. Zelensky calls for commitments on Ukraine-NATO membership. And here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Kyiv Post, the IAEA, The Guardian, Washington Examiner, The Associated Press, and U.S. News & World Report. Ahead of a major NATO summit in Lithuania next week, coming in the wake of a rebellion inside Russia, accusations of plots to bomb a nuclear plant and a Ukrainian counteroffensive that has largely not progressed, as some had hoped, members of the military alliance, particularly the U.S., are planning for a challenging problem set. Lithuanian President Kitanis Nauseda said that Ukrainian President Zelensky might not receive everything he expects in his most ambitious plans, but he will certainly receive a lot. Zelensky has repeatedly called for clear commitments that Ukraine can join NATO in recent weeks. 
On Friday, during a visit to the Czech Republic, Zelensky reissued the call for NATO membership, but also said that Kyiv needed long-range weapons from the U.S. Quote, without long-range weapons, it is difficult not only to carry out an offensive mission, but also to conduct a defensive operation, he said. Zelensky also pleaded for long-range weapons, namely the Army Tactical Missile System, or the ATACMS, in an interview with CNN this week. According to reports, the Biden administration is currently considering sending ATACMS weapons to Ukraine, although this was last year ruled out. At the time, Jake Sullivan, Biden's national security advisor, said that delivery of these weapons could lead to a third world war. However, while a decision on ATACMS waits, the Biden administration will reportedly on Friday approve another transfer of cluster munitions. The weapon, banned in over 120 countries, that disperses into hundreds of smaller bomblets over a wide area. Unexploded bomblets, like landmines, can remain a threat to the civilian population for years. Meanwhile, Rafael Grassi, head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, the UN-backed agency that maintains a permanent presence at the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP, said experts had inspected parts of the plant and conducted regular checks of the larger site so far without observing any visible indications of mines or explosives. However, without naming Russia, he called on the country to provide access to more of the facility. Thanks, Eric. We have a pro-establishment narrative from Politico. This is a vital NATO summit for Ukraine. Not only does the alliance need to provide a clear roadmap to Ukraine's future membership, it must provide Ukraine with everything it needs so that it wins the war and reestablishes full control over its internationally recognized 1991 borders. This should include the delivery of ATACMS weapons. The establishment critical narrative comes from The Guardian. Putin may look weakened following the failed revolt, but this key NATO summit is a time for mature statesmanship. The shifting goalposts on weapons show just how much the war has escalated over 16 months. Now's the time for NATO to realize that its security lies in a settlement with Russia, not doubling down on more weapons in war. And another nerd narrative, the community at Metaculus predicts there's a 1% chance that Ukraine will join NATO before the year 2024. The FDA gives its full approval to an Alzheimer's drug. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Al Jazeera, NPR Online News, and the New York Times. On Thursday, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration gave full approval to Biogen and Esai's Alzheimer's drug Lequembi, the first medication shown in clinical trials to slow the progression of the disease. The drug, which received accelerated approval from the FDA in January, clears brain plaque associated with Alzheimer's. A confirmatory study of 1,800 patients showed that it slowed cognitive decline by around five months, with the agency calling it safe and effective. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services stated that they would grant coverage for the drug, which costs around $26,500 per year, on the day it receives full FDA approval, extending coverage to upwards of a million potential Medicare patients. The FDA has directed doctors to prescribe Lequembi to patients with mild dementia or mild cognitive impairment, a pre-Alzheimer's condition, instructing doctors to test patients' brains for the presence of the toxic amyloid protein, an indicator of the disease. The FDA added its strictest black box warning against potential brain swelling and bleeding. Medicare coverage is contingent on doctors participating in a patient registry to track drug efficacy and side effects a move that the Alzheimer's Association has criticized as a barrier to access. Meanwhile, some Alzheimer's experts have questioned whether the slow in cognitive decline is enough to be noticeable. 
ESI's chairman and CEO of U.S. Operations has estimated that in the first three years, 100,000 patients would receive the treatment. About 1.5 million Americans are estimated to be in the early stages of Alzheimer's, while another 5 million have progressed too far to be eligible for the drug. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. Our first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from the website of the Food and Drug Administration. Lakembi has shown itself to be a safe and effective treatment for Alzheimer's, with the turnaround from accelerated to traditional approval being a testament to the responsiveness of the FDA. Millions of Americans now have hope to slow the progression of this frightening illness, and patients can rest assured that they are getting cutting-edge treatment that has been thoroughly tested and proven to be safe. And USA Today brings us an establishment-critical narrative. The FDA has been proven to be a compromised organization when it comes to the approval of Alzheimer's medication as they sweep an earlier controversy under the rug. The Kenby co-maker Biogen was found to be inappropriately involved in the FDA approval process for their drug, Aduhelm rushing a medication that was overly expensive with unclear efficacy. There is good reason to be skeptical of this latest drug in light of this history. News coming out of Brazil as the Amazon deforestation drops sharply in 2023. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, France 24, America Online, DW, and NBC Bay Area. A preliminary government data release Thursday showed that deforestation in Brazil's Amazon fell 34% in the first half of 2023 compared to the same period a year ago, hitting its lowest level in four years. This comes as President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva institutes stricter environmental policies. New data indicate that over 2,600 square kilometers or over 1,000 square miles of rainforest were cleared in the first half of this year, according to Brazil's National Space Research Agency, the lowest tally since 2019. In comparison, over 3,900 square kilometers or over 1,500 square miles of Amazon rainforest were cleared in the first six months of 2022 under Jair Bolsonaro. During a presentation in the capital, Brasilia, João Paulo Copobianco, the Environment Ministry's secretary, said, quote, The effort of reversing the curve of growth has been reached. That is a fact. We reversed the curve. Deforestation isn't increasing. Brazil's Federal Environmental Agency has strengthened remote surveillance by using land records to identify the owners of illegally deforested areas. Consequent sanctions include embargoes restricting access to financial loans and the seizure of thousands of illegally raised cattle within prohibited areas. Lula campaigned last year with pledges to stop illegal logging, as well as to undo environmental damage caused during Bolsonaro's presidency. Brazil is attempting to eliminate deforestation by 2030, despite the environmental agency's loss of staff under prior governments. NBC Bay Area brings us Narrative A. After four years of rising destruction in Brazil's Amazon rainforest, Action against deforestation has finally taken effect under Lula. This is good news for everybody, given that two-thirds of the world's rainforests are located in Brazil, covering an area twice the size of India. The Amazon's future is integral to humanity, holding tremendous stores of carbon and serving as a crucial buffer against climate change. Narrative B comes from The Economist. If Lula is to fulfill his green promises, he needs to stop showing loyalty to the state oil company and agribusiness. Oil and agriculture are increasingly important for the country, and lobbyists command sizable power in both houses of Congress. Part of the agriculture sector's expansion happened under Lula's first two administrations, as trade with China continues to accelerate. There are concerning entanglements here. 
And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's an 85% chance there will be at least 2 degrees Celsius of global warming by the year 2100. It's almost hard to believe how big the Amazon rainforest is when you hear those facts, you know, twice the size of India covering all that land and all that area. It's just, it's, it's staggering how yeah, big it is. Yeah, it's something you don't think about every day, but yeah, it's huge. Twitter threatens to sue Meta over threads. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, NPR Online News, Business Insider, and Time Magazine. On Wednesday, Twitter threatened legal action against Threads, the same day that Meta's new rival social media app was released. Alex Spiro, an attorney for Twitter, sent a letter to Meta Chief Executive Officer Mark Zuckerberg, accusing his company of hiring many former Twitter employees in order to illegally leverage Twitter's trade secrets and other intellectual property and create a copycat app. Upon purchasing Twitter last year, Elon Musk, who's also the CEO of SpaceX and Tesla, fired close to 80% of Twitter's staff, leaving the platform with less than 600 engineers. Twitter under Musk has reduced its content moderation rules and started to charge $8 per month for users who want verification, changes that have created controversy and inspired other companies to attempt to create a competing platform. Zuckerberg, whose company built threads off the existing Instagram app, said around 70 million users had signed up for threads as of Friday. Scott, thanks for those facts. The first spin is a right narrative coming from Red State. Musk should do what he can to stop threads from being a carbon copy of Twitter, but he shouldn't worry about the meta-owned platform challenging Twitter's supremacy. While Musk has made Twitter a bastion of free speech, there's already a ton of censorship going on at threads in its infant moments. Sensitive celebrities and other woke leftists can't stand for opposing opinions. As far as a real public square, Twitter will always be the place to be. And the left narrative spin comes from New York Times. Musk knows that the issue isn't his former employees working on threads. He's truly worried about facing competition. What's happening at threads isn't censorship, it's hands-on content management to keep the new platform from being overrun by hate speech and misinformation the way Twitter has been since Musk's takeover. People have been yearning for a robust and viable alternative to Twitter for numerous reasons, and now they have it. We have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 93% chance that Musk will remain owner of Twitter on January 1st, 2024. In medical news, long COVID symptoms have been linked to vaccines. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Statesman, Science, and The New York Post. Researchers at Harvard and Yale have begun probing a new phenomenon dubbed long vax, where patients experience symptoms of long COVID for up to months after receiving the vaccine. These include headaches, extreme fatigue, an abnormal heart rate, and blood pressure fluctuations. Patients also cite tingling, electric shock-like sensations, burning pain, and blood circulation issues that appear as soon as hours after receiving the shot. While rarer than long COVID itself, Yale cardiologist Dr. Harlan Krumholz said, quote, it's my obligation to have an open mind. Cardiologists Alan Kwan and Susan Chang at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center analyzed data from 285,000 people in the Los Angeles area. They found that within 90 days after taking the vaccine, symptoms were 33% higher than the three months prior, though this was 19% less than unvaccinated patients who contracted COVID itself. While the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, says adverse effects are rare and typically involve temporary muscle soreness, a growing number of doctors globally are describing patients with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, or POTS, which includes dizziness, fatigue, and rapid heart rate. 
One of the going theories is that since the vaccines use the COVID spike protein to induce protective antibodies, some people generate another round of antibodies targeting the first. They might then latch onto the ACE2 receptor, which, if disrupted, can cause high heart rates and blood pressure swings. Despite both U.S. and European regulators finding no definitive links between the vaccines and conditions like small fiber neuropathy or POTS, researchers believe it should be studied while also cautioning against using such cases to fuel vaccine criticisms. We've got a left narrative from USA Today. Symptoms like myocarditis, fatigue, and lung problems have certainly been found after inoculation, but they are found far more often and to a much greater degree after contracting the virus. Anti-vaxxers are using the same anecdotal arguments for the COVID vaccine they did for previous ones, but the science is not on their side. Since the side effects are worse from the virus than the vaccine, which has saved countless lives, the benefits of vaccination undeniably outweigh the risk. The right narrative coming from the Daily Skeptic. If the data were on their side, the pro-COVID vaccine establishment wouldn't be censoring studies from world-renowned scientists. But that's exactly what happened to leading cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough and Yale epidemiologist Dr. Harvey Risch's paper in The Lancet. What they found after analyzing 678 studies and 44 papers containing 325 autopsy cases after vaccination was that 74% of the deaths were caused by the vaccine. No one is saying that the vaccine kills everybody or has no benefits, but there are sufficient red flags and anecdotal evidence to make its safety worth further investigation. I mean, this is why we're here. It almost seems like you become an enemy of one side or the other if you even bring up the points of the other side. And and here we are presenting both sides. So I invite our listeners to make up your own mind and maybe do your own research. That's right. And don't get the shot. Or definitely get it. Biden announces health care reforms on junk plans. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Reuters, USA Today, NBC, and CNN. U.S. President Joe Biden unveiled a set of health care reforms aimed at cracking down on so-called junk insurance plans, aimed at preventing surprise medical bills and reducing interest charges on credit cards used specifically for medical treatment. The new regulation will roll back a 2018 Trump-era policy that extended the availability of short-term health insurance plans from three months to up to 12 months and could be subsequently reviewed. The plans were also renewable and lacked Obamacare benefits such as maternity coverage and coverage of pre-existing conditions. Many Americans opt for short-term plans while in between jobs as a temporary substitute for more robust coverage. While the Trump administration argued the plans were more affordable for temporary contractors, Biden will cut the duration of the plans down to four months. Biden was expected to speak Friday afternoon about the medical reforms, which the White House released in its fact sheet. The new policies will look to close loopholes that allow companies to discriminate based on pre-existing conditions and trick customers. The so-called Bidenomics agenda has focused on protections against hidden fees, and the new rules will close a loophole that currently allows hospitals and providers working together to claim a patient is out of network and thus accruing additional fees. The Department of Health and Human Services claims that 18.7 million older Americans and Medicare recipients will save $400 annually in prescription drug costs in 2025. Biden is also expected to unveil a plan to allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices and a $35 monthly price on insulin for Medicare Part B patients. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Politico. 
This reform is undoing the damage to Americans from junk, short-term health insurance programs that don't provide adequate coverage while springing surprise fees. This policy will help working-class Americans save their hard-earned money, and Biden has a proven track record of fighting against predatory corporations that exploit loopholes to unjustly charge Americans hundreds of dollars in fees. This more robust level of regulation will curb health insurance scamming. And Narrative B comes from Jacobin. This policy from Biden aligns with other establishment shills that have consistently exploited the most vulnerable. The Biden administration has kicked millions off Medicaid and done nothing to help people get the care they need. Reducing the marketplace of affordable short-term health insurance options is a bad policy in a gig economy. Eric, I uh, dinged the door of my car a couple weeks ago and uh, I brought it into the shop. Luckily, we have insurance. Cost me $250 deductible to get the thing fixed, but I noted on the bill it was like $3,800. Oh my goodness. Uh, for a little yeah, ding, yeah. So, isn't that so, crazy? So someone's fixing a, a ding on the door. You know, maybe they have to maybe they have to replace the door. I don't know, but that type of thing happens in health insurance all the time. You look at your bill, and it's like, whoa, that bag of saline cost twelve hundred yeah. bucks. Oh, oh my, my gosh, a sixty-seven dollar band aid. Exactly. Let me tell you, if you have a family or you're sick and you don't have health insurance, I can think of a uh, few things that would be scarier than being that That's type of true, situation. Yeah. Marjorie Taylor Greene has been removed from House Freedom Caucus. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Politico, Independent, NBC, and The Hill. Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has been voted out of the House Freedom Caucus, or HFC, following a public dispute with a fellow lawmaker, as revealed by fellow Republican and faction member Andy Harris, Republican of Maryland, on Thursday. Speaking to Politico, Harris described how Green's decision to vote in favor of the bipartisan House bill to raise the debt ceiling deal, as well as her recent dispute with HFC member Lauren Boebert, Republican of Colorado, factored into her expulsion. Last month, Green reportedly called Boebert a derogatory term during a row over filing articles of impeachment against President Joe Biden. Harris said the vote to expel Green occurred two days after her comments to Boebert, which she added were the straw that broke the camel's back. Green didn't acknowledge the vote, but in a statement, she serves Northwest Georgia first rather than any group in Washington. Thanks for those political facts. Eric Ross' story brings us the Democratic narrative. Green's expulsion highlights her fall from grace in recent times. Once the darling of ultra-conservatives for her consistent promotion of a plethora of conspiracy theories, Green has found herself in the midst of an internal party battle. It's apparent that, alarmingly, the HFC no longer believes Green to be far right enough to remain a member of the faction. PJ Media brings us the Republican narrative. After causing a plethora of feuds, the HFC no longer had any time to worry about Green's antics. While some may paint this as an embarrassment for the Republican Party, it's actually a demonstration of its willingness to do the right thing and ensure good governance. During these tumultuous times, the GOP must form a united front. Our final story, a Harvard scientist claims a meteor could be interstellar alien technology. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, News Nation, The Independent, and CBS. Harvard astrophysicist Avi Loeb, who led a team to collect fragments of an interstellar meteor from the Pacific Ocean, has claimed that 50 molten steel titanium droplets recovered could be potentially parts of an extraterrestrial technological gadget. Loeb led Harvard's Galileo project to recover the fragments of meteor IM-1, which struck Earth in 2014 and was partially recovered off the coast of Papua New Guinea. Loeb's team conjectured that the meteor was of interstellar origin, 
later supported by a statement from the U.S. Space Operations Command. Loeb claims that the material is tougher than all space rock known to humans, with the durability and speed of the meteor leading him to speculate that it could be of extraterrestrial origin, saying a spacecraft could appear as a meteor as it strikes a planet. If of natural origin, it would give astronomers insight into what materials exist outside of the solar system, with Loeb saying he hopes a future expedition will yield larger fragments from the meteor. The team's assertion that the object is of interstellar origin is contested by some scientists who argue that there's no conclusive evidence for the claim. Loeb's prior assertions of alien visitation of the solar system have been criticized by other scientists. The recovered spherules are composed of 84% iron, 8% silicon, 4% magnesium, 2% titanium, and in addition to other trace elements. They are less than a millimeter in size. Thank you, Scott. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Newsweek. Never before has mankind held this type of tangible object in definite interstellar origin. And based on the current evidence, it's not a leap to argue that the material could be the product of extraterrestrial life. We are standing on the precipice of a Copernican-type revolution if this sample is truly of interstellar origin. And if it's alien technology, it would be an epoch-defining moment in human history. A scientist must always keep an open mind when faced with the new and unknown. And Narrative B comes from the conversation. It's unfortunately highly unlikely that we could prove IM-1 is of alien origin, much less even of interstellar origin. We must always be skeptical of sweeping assertions, and Loeb tends to make grandiose claims with little evidence behind them. We need to thoroughly examine the fragments before making any claims, and the latest test results are not promising for the interstellar hypothesis. We have our final nerd narrative of today's podcast coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there's a 22% chance conclusive evidence for extraterrestrial life, past or present, will be discovered within our solar system by the year 2050. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, July 8th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner and Inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.